This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. So it's our ninth Zero uh, Budget Conference. It's the seventh uh, in the United Nations building here. That is Michael Fembeck, the director of the Zero Project, which held its annual conference in Vienna in February of 2020. My name is Andy Frank, and I was pleased to be invited to cover the event for AMI-audio live. So this year we will have more than uh, 800 participants uh, from, I think, almost 90 countries. Um, well, as the organizer, I may have a subjective view on, uh, but I think we uh, really made a few next steps forward. So what is the Zero Project? Well, it provides a platform where the most innovative and effective solutions to problems facing persons with disabilities are shared. Its sole objective, they write at zeroproject.org, is to assist in creating a world without barriers, based on the articles of the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Zero Project's annual conference, held at the UN building in Vienna, celebrates those solutions. It's a kind of interwoven uh, concept of A, finding the right people who present their innovations, and and B, then organize the conference around this. And so we somehow we, we came up with a number of, of 60, 70, 80, which normally are selected every year. I asked Michael Fembeck how Zero Project determines who the award recipients are in a given year. We are a foundation, but basically we behave uh, seven months a year as a research institute and five months a year as a conference organizer. So in the first seven months, which will start right after this conference mm -hmm. in, in March, we knew we know already what our new topic is, which in this case it's employment. So we have a four-year cycle of four topics. This year was education, next year it's employment, and the other two topics are accessibility and independent living. And we we working through the cycle in, a, in, a, in every year. These topics are very broad, of course, so the first task for Zero Project is to narrow down the specific areas on which they wish to focus. What does the topic employment mean? What do we want to cover? What do we want to exclude? Um, yeah, and then we're preparing this, uh, this uh, nomination. We also try to find, the, the, find experts. Uh, we, find, we try to find uh, research so we, that, that we really get the, a full understanding of what we're looking for. This is especially important when it comes to policies because we're researching practices coming from civil society and from companies, but also policies which come from, from uh, the public side, from uh, ministries, governments, uh, uh, yeah, uh, so regulations, laws. Um, so when we charted the territory, in, um, when we finish that in uh, mid of May, we will, will uh, give out a call for nominations. Zero Project's network of over 5,000 people is then asked to help uncover success stories in both practices and policies. And uh, we have, as you said, some 5,000 people that we, re that we reach out to and say, give us your, your uh, nominations, promote this call for nominations so that uh, we will get hopefully a really high number of, of interesting nominations coming in by the end of June. Uh, and by then, uh, a three, four-step selection process starts, which ends in October. Uh, and by then, we have uh, included... Uh, 
um, normally up to um, I think uh, maybe a thousand people with and without disabilities that uh, that give us their peer review, that give us their expertise, and they, that give us their vote on what are the most innovative, the most impactful, and the most scalable innovations that are out there. Talking about numbers, uh, we expect some uh, up to 500 nominations coming in, innovative practices and innovative policies, and um, going for a short list where we might have some 150, uh, then we will end up again with some 75, hopefully uh, selected and, and then in the end awarded innovative practices and policies. So, lots of numbers. Let's recap. A network of 5,000 people around the world are asked to uncover success stories. Some four to 500 entries emerge. Then a peer review group of nearly 1,000 people evaluate the entries. A short list of 150 finalists is created. And ultimately, about half of them will receive an award in Vienna the following February. And that's where we found ourselves earlier this year. October, we can switch into the conference organizers' mode right. and, and prepare this conference. With all those typical logistics that go into something like this. and uh... Yeah, and there might be even more because if you're in this field, you have to organize a fully accessible conference. Yeah. So we are, we are applying, I think, more than 30 features to make it more accessible. There's, no, there's no, never going to be a, a fully accessible conference, but we are on a journey uh, to make it more accessible every year. So there's more to it than meets the eye. I asked Michael why he felt it was important to gather as many of the awardees for three days in Vienna. If you have some 60, 70 awardees and they deserve it and you invite them and they come, you have a, a, a real big core group. You have a, a, a core competence of people, of, of innovators that, that are already there and around this group. And that's what we actually want to do, to, to put the innovators in the middle of a conference. Around this group, it's easy to find other people who want to join in, who want to see the selected group, who want to meet with them. You've been privileged to see thousands of entries in the time that you've been involved here. But do you still sometimes hear one that comes in that just blows your mind? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? This is really happening? And then you find out that it really is happening. Do you still have that? Do you, do you get that impression or do people all, around you? All the time. Huh? Of course, when it comes to technology, every year some mind-blowing technology come in. For example, this, uh, obviously there's now really some products, market products out where you can steer a gadget with your brain. This, yeah. is, this year, this was amazing. We had one or two already at the conference. Uh, but it's not only uh, technology. It's also, if you look at it, we are, we are, we are we're worldwide. No? So we have a, a big exposure in, in, in low-income countries. So what's always amazing for us is what happens in, in countries that have no welfare state that have little means and what is developed in these countries is, is, is sometimes really amazing and uh, yeah so you're looking at the context uh, what's going on in, in certain countries like for example Bangladesh, Nepal this is sometimes really yeah this yeah is, is, is outstanding. That was Michael Fembeck the director of the Zero Project which held its annual conference in Vienna in February of 2020. Michael mentioned that there were 75 innovative practices and 11 innovative policies celebrated at the event. In a moment, we'll hear from two of the 11 policy awardees, including one from Canada. Other policies that were recognized came from Australia, Austria, Dominican Republic, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Nepal, Samoa, and the United States. Four of the groups that were singled out were ministries of education, including one from Namibia. My name is Regina Hausiku from Namibia. 
I work for the Ministry of Education in Namibia. So congratulations, you're about to receive an award here at uh, Zero Project. I want to know what problem it is that you are addressing and why you're being recognized. First of all, the problem that we targeted in Namibia for us to come up with the project was based on access. Children in Namibia with disability lack access to education, so they were not fully they were not fully getting access to education. Therefore, the, some of them are being discriminated. They are sent back uh, from school simply because they cannot accommodate them. The infrastructures cannot accommodate them. Even the adaptation is not done. So that's why we have to come up with a project uh, in form of a policy innovation in order to address that, that problem. Paint a picture for me of what you did. Um, what we did was... Um, uh, remember, the focus is uh, basic education from pre-primary until secondary education. So that covers for that group, target group. So what we did was we carried out research. So we need to do a needs analysis to find out, to do consultation in order for us to figure out what the problem are. And then we came up with the, the policy was, uh, was established in order to address those issues. And then... Um, it was a lot of issues, ranging from curriculum. We need to address issues on curriculum, creating awareness, because there are some of the disability people do not understand. They do not embrace uh, diversity. And at the end of the day, children are being discriminated. So teachers needed that information in order for them to understand what should be done in the school in order to accommodate these children that are being discriminated. So we did a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, providing training to the teachers in order for them to know, to identify different disabilities and also establishing different uh, referral, referral procedures because these children are coming from uh, different uh, backgrounds which are disadvantaged backgrounds. They couldn't even, some of them are not even diagnosed. Uh, therefore, we need to put up uh, referral procedures and also to get these children diagnosed at least in order for us to know what is the real learning difficulty that they have in order for us to address that specific problem in the school. That's a huge challenge. What about the teachers themselves? How much, how much training and education do you have to do there at that level? Yeah, um, just to mention, if we look at uh, in our schools, teachers are not really experts in special education because most of the teachers that were trained Inclusive education was just a module in their training. It was not teachers trained in special education. So now they find inclusive education to be a challenging because it's not their area of expertise. Therefore, they need in-service training in order to address that area because these are teachers already with degrees, but then they are not specialized in that area. So we have also collaborated with the universities in order for them to have specializations in different areas of special needs education specifically in order for the teachers that they are, they are being training that they are training now at least will have teachers that are trained in that specific area to address also that gap how far have you come along in this project and where would you like to go next yeah so far we have trained uh, about a thousand thousand teachers more than a thousand teachers that we have trained and then after the training we have also developed uh, we have resource schools but from these resource schools we have uh, established also what we call learning support classes in the mainstream 
that we call now inclusive schools. They are units for, um, for learners with disabilities. Therefore, we offer them um, assistance. We give them assistive devices and all that to support them. And then we train teachers. And then at the end of the day, also what we have done is there are children that are not coping in the mainstream. And we have also realized that some of these children who cannot go through their pure academic stream, like studying mathematics and physical science and all that, they, we need to address that area in order for us to... We launched now a project on technical, basic technical course. We call basic uh, prevoc in order for them at least to have an opportunity for them to learn a skill that they are going to use at least in the future. When they exit school, at least they, they are able to find jobs by themselves or they can follow the technical stream. How are you funded and how do you see yourself being funded in the future? Awareness has been created. We are still creating awareness. We are bringing the ministry on board, different stakeholders, UN agencies are supporting us. So at the end of the day, uh, our budget has increased now as we speak annually. We are now going to spend from next year $3 million on special education. So um, it's, it's really something. So if we have the resources, the, especially the financial means, we are able to fund most of, to address the needs of most of the children. We are able to, to go and train. We are able to go to the schools and visit them and give them the facilities that they need and all that. So that's all we that's what we are doing at the moment. And we see that things are really going to change. But however, there are still challenges. There are still challenges. The, our schools are not going to be inclusive now simply because we, the population that we are talking about, like I said, we have still special schools. Special schools is a sign of segregation as well because most of the kids who, are severe, who have severe disability are not in inclusive schools, but they are in special schools that we call resource schools. We still have a long journey to go in order for us to make our schools inclusive. Well, congratulations on receiving the award. How do you, how do you feel about this award, and how do you think it could benefit you in the longer term? I, I feel I'm so amazed, very excited for me to get this award, and I'm thanking Zero Project for giving me this opportunity in order for me to come and receive this award in, on behalf of my ministry. And I believe, Mitra, I have learned a lot in this uh, conference, and whatever that I've learned, I've made connections, and at the end of the day, the connections that I've made and uh, uh, the knowledge that I've received, I'm going to implement it in Namibia. So... Those are the benefits, really. It's something that I feel proud of. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks to Regina Hosiku from Namibia's Ministry of Education. I mentioned earlier that Canada was also represented at Zero Project's 2020 conference, with both a practice and a policy being recognized. The practice went to the Rick Hansen Foundation, and we'll explore that award in a later episode. But to close out this one, let's meet Julie Michaud, and the first voice you'll hear, Isabel Cowan of the New Brunswick Department of Education and Early Childhood Development. Well, uh, the Provincial Autism Training Framework actually uh, began in 2012, and it was really a recognition that there was a need to provide high-quality and evidence-based training for um, educational personnel at a systems level, and also to ensure that there was... Um, 
consistency between what was happening in preschool and then happening into schools. And so for a period of a, a year or so, uh, we brought in some people that had expertise uh, in autism and applied behavior analysis specifically from districts and uh, created a team uh, to develop the course content. And uh, we also had the privilege of working with experts in the field to help uh, us develop our training programs as well as to validate it. And uh, in 2015, um, our online course that we developed was actually developed in collaboration with the Atlantic provinces. So we had our partners from Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland uh, under the umbrella of APSI, the Atlantic provinces' special education authority, help us develop that portion of the course. And what ages were you targeting from the outset? From the outset, we knew that we wanted to uh, develop a program that would cover preschool all the way up to um, high school. Oh. And so we have different courses that are geared specifically for preschool versus others that are for specifically for schools to reflect the different realities of those contexts. And the, in the online case, is that mostly for, for parents and for educators? To, especially for the preschool children? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the online course um, is offered to the preschool autism agency. So in New Brunswick, when a child receives a diagnosis of autism before the age of five, they have um, the right to up to 20 hours of uh, intensive behavioral intervention that's offered by Autism Intervention Services in New Brunswick, which is a third party that's funded by the department. And so the course is for their personnel. And uh, just in the last year, we made that training available to families so oh, that wow. they could participate in that That's also. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about the three levels of training that are involved here. What, what are they? So we have an introductory level. That's the online uh, course, uh, and it depends if it's uh, for school personnel or for early childhood personnel. The course for school personnel is a 10-module online course uh, for the hours of training that is offered. And because it's all online, uh, school personnel can do it at their own time. Um, so it's uh, for educational assistant, uh, people that work one-on-one -on -one with students, it's uh, as soon as they are hired, they have access to the course. And for all other school personnel, school principal, teachers, psychologists, uh, they have access to the course uh, usually once a year, we offer uh, it to them. Um, but because of the feedback that we had received, we also decided that to open that course to outside jurisdictions. So we've had uh, contracts uh, in Morocco and Barbados, so uh, school personnel can also do the training um, because it's all online. Um, so that's the school piece for early childhood, as Isabel mentioned, it's really, uh, right now it's for um, the people that work in the autism agencies in New Brunswick. Um, so it's uh, 10 modules also, um, which are all accessible online. And it's really an introductory. So we explain what is autism, what's the impact that it can have on learning. And then the last few modules are more on strategies and intervention that can be used in the classroom or uh, more competency-based for early childhood uh, 
um, agencies in autism. Level two is our more advanced training. <laughs> so that one is online. It's a hybrid model. So it's all online, but also a component on on-the-job um, visits. So learning specialists uh, working within our team do go in schools or in agencies to help uh, resource teachers or clinical supervisors um, get that uh, skill set to uh, be able to um, individualized programming for kids with autism and then level three is continuing education because you're never training is never done uh, you always have to have that uh, autism is there's so many research all the time and new um, research is done so we do offer um, continuing education so it could be workshops. Uh, we also offer at the department for school uh, teachers um, the access to become board certified behavior analysts. So it's hmm. yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's paid by the department um, to enable teachers, resource teachers, to have that skill set. And on top of that, <laughs> you're doing it in French and English. Yes. <laughs> That's remarkable. Yeah, the department um, in New Brunswick, because we're uh, the only officially bilingual province, the Department of Education has is divided into sectors. So um, because of that, and the Autism Learning Partnership um, caters to both sectors or to and to early childhood, so really three sectors. So everything we develop in one language is also developed mm -hmm. in the other language. Wow, <laughs> amazing. What about daycares? Are they on the horizon? Yeah, they are. Um, in the past year, when we made the training available to parents, um, immediately we got begin receiving calls from daycare saying we would really like to be able to access this also. So that's certainly within the plans uh, that we want to be able to offer that to daycares uh, in the future. Let's talk about this conference. Um, you were acknowledged mm -hmm. by uh, the Zero Project, mm -hmm. which is a feat in itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were like 500 entries and uh, and you're, you're in the policy area, which mm -hmm. is smaller. There's, I think, 11 policies that were acknowledged and 75 practices. Um, what's the experience been like to be acknowledged as such and to be here in Vienna for a few days? Oh. Well, it's been really an honor to be here uh, and for the training to be recognized. We're definitely passionate about our work, and uh, so it's great to be able to talk about it at, at this event and, and to be able to share and even you know explore partnerships with, with other jurisdictions. Um, but it's also great to hear about how everyone is evolving in this year's themes, inclusive education, and how everyone is evolving in terms of their practice, and just to hear the different realities uh, on an international basis has been really interesting. And what about you? What's your experience been? Uh, it's very similar. It's we have a booth, so we've had a lot of people come and uh, speak with us about their reality, and uh, it's been just an amazing experience uh, to hear what they have to say and also being recognized for this prize. I also love the first time I saw you. You were taping the Canadian flag <laughs> <laughs> to your booth. I said, "Yeah, my kind of people." <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you down the road. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks.
The three days of the Zero Project conference in February of 2020 were jammed with networking opportunities, workshops, plenary sessions, and celebrations. My mission, as you heard, was to lasso some of the awardees for a few minutes so that you may hear of their accomplishments in their own voices. One of Zero Project's missions is to share the policies and practices as widely as possible. So, in related podcasts right here on AMI-audio Live, you'll hear from more of the remarkable awardees who were carefully selected in the highly competitive process Michael Fenbeck described. You'll hear success stories in the field of education coming out of South Africa, Russia, India, America, Canada, Austria, Germany, Israel, Brazil, Ireland, Australia, and the United Arab Emirates. Go to zeroproject.org to get the full story of the 2020 conference. Technical assistance for this episode of AMI-audio Live was provided by Sam Robinson and Paula Deneen. My name is Andy Frank. Thank you for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Shaun of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.